This is episode 51 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gelner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Hello, my extraordinary women friends. So I just got back from a beautiful long weekend in Southern California where I went to the Limitless Women Conference hosted by Laura Gisborne. And not only was it a good thing for me to get away, spend some time near the ocean, spend some time with some dear friends, and it was also a space where I was just so inspired by so many fabulous speakers. And the cool thing is that several of those speakers who were at the conference over the weekend who are, all, are also lined up to join us here on Extraordinary Women Radio in the next few months, including Dr. Sharon Stroud, who's been called one of the most awarded and accomplished women of our century and has been referred to as a minister of peace. And speaking of peace, another yes I got was from Jamie Lino Zimron, who has been involved in Israeli Palestinian peace efforts with her mind-body healing work. I got to do one of her classes over the weekend, and it was uh, really amazing, really really fun. It was a bliss class. And Sage Levine, who is the author of Women Rocking Business, and I was just totally drawn into her work. I love what she stands for and how she's really putting the stand out for women in the world. And several others have said yes. So one of the things that really continuously amazes me is the simple art of doing the ask and just going to do it, right? Sometimes I catch myself hesitating when I want to ask someone if they would like to join me on my podcast. And if I step and I I pause in that moment and think, oh gosh, can I go ask Dr. Sharon Stroud to join me on my podcast? And the, the, the amazing thing is, she said yes. And what I often am learning is that when you do the ask, people do say yes. And if I, if I got a no, that would be okay as well. But doing the art of the simple ask and putting yourself out there, it's a le- there's a huge lesson to be learned from this. So what I'd like to invite you to think about today is what is it that you've been wanting to ask someone and what's holding you back? And what if right now, you pause this podcast and picked up the phone and made the ask, no matter how big or how small it might be. So what's the worst that could happen? Maybe a no, but I promise the upside of the yes can be so powerful. And I invite you to make an ask today of someone with something that you would really love to make happen. What's that one thing? And as you step out and you do that ask, would you do me a favor and just be sure to let me know what it is and how it turns out? I can't wait to hear. So I'm super excited about today's Extraordinary Women Radio guest, Haley Hoffman-Smith. Haley is a young and upcoming star in the entrepreneurial world. She started her first global nonprofit and wrote her first book at age 18 and is in the midst of starting her second nonprofit, 
Her Big Idea Foundation, and her second book will launch in June, shortly after she graduates from Brown University in May. At Brown, Haley studied how women develop their sense of self-agency in entrepreneurship and venture capital for her honors thesis. She also created the first ever Women's Entrepreneurship Incubator to help female students bring their ideas from concept to reality. Haley is dynamic, and there is no doubt in my mind that we need to take note of her name because there's going to be a time that we say about Haley Hoffman-Smith, I remember her when. She's got an impact to make, and I promise you are going to love her. Let's dig in and meet Haley Hoffman-Smith. Well, hi, Haley. It's so great to feature you here on Extraordinary Women Radio. Thank you so much, Cammie. I've really been looking forward to this, and I'm such a huge fan of yours, so thank you for having me. Oh, you bet, and I'm a fan of yours. I, you know, I was trying to remember when we first connected, and I couldn't put my finger on it. I just knew that I saw you as this young woman with a nonprofit that you started, and you were launching your first book, and this was a couple of years ago, and I just said, wow, I just, I'm, I got to know this person, because I think what you're going to... What you are doing, what you're put, what work you're putting out into the world is just really, really important. And I'm just excited to see where this is all going to go for you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I remember. Gosh, I don't. I truly don't remember where we first connected, but I think it might have been Facebook. And I just it struck me that you reached out to me and that we got to talking and that you were so supportive of my ventures, even though I was so young at that time and I'm still young. And that you're still supporting all the women around you. It's uh, it's really inspirational to be a part of. So thank you for all of your empowerment. And I'm really glad to be connected. Oh, I am too. I'm really, and I do think it was a social media platform somewhere that we we first yeah. connected on. So the, the the beauty of social media. That's for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you're such an empowered young woman who is no doubt going to make a huge impact on the world. And I had the opportunity to get to see some of your thesis this week. And in that thesis, you share a story up front about entering the world of connection and community and networking. And the the story that you shared indicated that was the first time you truly felt at a disadvantage of being a woman. And for me, you know, that it's like, it took my breath away and it was a heartbreaking story. And, and I know exactly what you mean. I've been there. I've felt it. Um, and I think all women have felt it at some point or another. So can you tell that story and just how it, you know, how it's put a fire under your belly for this work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so this story uh, happened when I was 18 years old. I had just started my first nonprofit and I had just finished my first year of college. And I did not know when I started my nonprofit that I was an entrepreneur. In my eyes, it was just like another project. It was something like starting a club at my college or a, a few of the other leadership ventures I had started. But once I became aware that running a nonprofit is like running a business, yes. even though it's, it is a nonprofit, uh, I started to get more comfortable with that, connect with other entrepreneurs. And um, a friend of mine took me to a networking event in downtown Denver at the Four Seasons. And he was like, this is a really great opportunity for you to meet other people, to share what you're doing, to try to get help. I mean, naturally, as entrepreneurs, we bond with a sense of community. We're all offering things to each other. So it was my very first one. And I walked into the room and I saw women. So I was like, okay. 
okay, you know, I'm set. Um, but I knew I was the youngest, but I mean, at that time I was 18, I knew I was going to be the youngest in the room for the majority of the places that I went to. Right. Um, But I started to talk with some of the men and I realized that all the women that were there were the wives and the girlfriends of the men, which is totally fine. It just seemed like this was a networking event for male entrepreneurs specifically. Mm -hmm. And they were all in the age range of maybe like 40 to 60. They had all started very successful companies. Um, it was more of like a mix and mingle thing rather than networking for the purposes like of furthering their businesses. They were all very successful. And I was speaking with one man and I was telling him about my nonprofit, which was called Lit Without Limits. And I was donating books to girls um, around the world in mentoring groups. And I read a curriculum to go along with the books. And I eventually reached Pakistan and the Philippines. And so I really had the impact I wanted to eventually. But at that time, I was still trying to forge relationships internationally to make that dream happen. So I'm explaining it to him. And he looks at me and he like looks down on me. I remember I was like looking up at him. It was just like an implicit power dynamic, even in our height. And he goes, oh, that's a tall order. And he says it in such like a smug way. And I'm like, a tall order, really? Because I don't really think so. You know, I'm here like trying to connect to see if there's, you know, if you know any like international schools or just to get your advice. And just hearing that it was a tall order, it felt like it was more of a portrayal on me and my capacity to do it. Because if it was him and he was, you know, trying to make these international connections to donate books, I don't think it would have been a tall order for him. So it was at that moment that I really felt like, being a woman and then also being young. It was a combination of like the tension in the room of being the youngest. I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb, but then also like my own insecurities about starting a company and all that entailed. Um, it really led me to see that women's entrepreneurship, like we're, we're at a little bit of a disadvantage, at least when we first get started. But of course, since then I've entered so many amazing communities and met women like you who have been so empowering to me. And that has really encouraged me to to get back up and start again, to push forth with my vision. And I want to be that for all other female entrepreneurs. So yeah, I'm really inspired by my own experience and the, the fear and the the pain that I felt, um, from that one moment, I was just really embarrassed and right. Right. And, 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 and so you felt small in that moment. Mm-hmm. And what, what did you take, where did you take that smallness and how did you light that back up? Because, because I know you did. So how did you um, feed that? And, and we all get that, right? I mean, I certainly in my t- throughout my career, throughout my life have felt things where I just want to shrink, where, where the energy around me just shrinks. Um, what was it that you did that really let that blossom back out and let your full full light shine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, I, the, the friend that took me to the event afterwards, um, said something to me like, wow, that you did a really amazing job tonight. You held your own around like all these really established, like successful men. And so that made me feel good for one that I was still like, holding my own and coming across confidently. But after that, I really tried to plug into more, um, women's networking events. Um, I didn't, and I don't think I have ever gone since to a networking event where men are there, which I think is okay. But I am, yeah, I really leaned on my relationships with women to empower me. And I found that through empowering them and sharing my story and getting vulnerable and really fostering connections is what empowered me to keep going. Yeah. I really believe in that. Yeah. The power of vulnerability and sharing our stories. And you will step into networking and connections with, with men. And, and, and I do think it's part, it's an important part of our conversation to have the conversations with men as well. Um, and so I, I hope that you let that, um, you know, that one experience, I mean, and just start playing with this now. I mean, this is such a beautiful place for you to, to play with this is to, because you, 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 
you could actually go back into that room and stand next to that man and say, you know what? You said it was a tall order, but guess what? This is what I'm doing. You know, this is yeah. look at all the things I have done since then. Um, and it is that kind of strength that, that you'll find. And, and I think you're going to find also that was a really big an- anomaly that, that, that was, I mean, it was rude. Frankly, it was really rude, <laughs> right? <one> was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. So what would you tell other women, young and old, that are experiencing this? Um, what would you tell them? What would you advise them if they're feeling small and kind of shrunk around a conversation that they had? What, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say that first and foremost, um, personal development and self-love, I mean, that comes first. So then you can carry your own in any room. And I felt that I had had like acquired uh, that to date, but I had, I didn't have like a self-awareness of myself as an entrepreneur. So that was where a lot of the struggle was. So affirming to yourself that yes, I belong here. Yes. It's, it's more, it's easier said than done. Part of my research came across this um, topic called belonging uncertainty. So when we feel like we don't belong in a certain situation or a room, we walk into a room and we feel like, oh, I don't belong here. Then we look for indicators, even if it's subconscious, uh-huh. we look for indicators that that's true. We don't look for, we don't look for indicators to contradict that. Mm, so I like that. We, yeah. I thought that was really interesting learning about the psychology of all of it. So I think we can a little bit trick our brains or give ourselves a pep talk before we enter a room like this or really any situation to say, yes, I do belong here. I am going to make a change. I have big ideas and I'm going to do something with them to change the world. Right. So that, that, that awareness and, and, and looking within the room, you know, that there are, there are clues that why you do belong there. So actually being active and looking for those clues when you're in the room, it's like, yeah, look at this. You know, I'm, I'm connecting with, with this person at this level. And, um, so I think that's awesome. I think. Absolutely. That's yeah. So what is it, what is it that we need to do as a society that, to help our women feel more empowered? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I know I've been preaching a lot to the power of like all women empowerment groups, uh, but I would really like to say, like after my experience with um, at this networking event, that it's really been a lot of my relationships with, with men who encourage female entrepreneurship that have been really inspirational and empowering for me. Mm-hmm. Um, bringing women into the mainstream is extremely important. A lot of this came up in my studies about venture capital and angel investment groups, as opposed to the big VC firms in Silicon Valley. Uh, typically, the big VC firms, it's all men and right. they invest like $10 million, $50 million into companies. Whereas the smaller angel investor groups invest seed amounts, which are still useful, but like 10,000 to $1 million. And those seem to be all women. And so really a way to forge equality, at least in the venture capital is to have an equal amount of men and women on the board of a venture capital firm. Yes. So other, I mean, otherwise, if we try to keep it separate, yeah, we can try to go for equality and say, oh, there's as many like all female venture capital firms as there are all male venture capital firms, but there has to be an integration there. And, and that, lot- yeah, that integration is so powerful because it's, it's bringing different perspectives to the table, which makes for stronger decision making, which makes for um, better bottom lines. I mean, it's, there's, there's fantastic statistics that have been calculated or have been captured around the bottom line of companies who have a more balanced board, more balanced leadership, um, certainly delivers a, a, a better bottom line. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely true. First round capital, uh, they did a 10-year report on all the companies that they invested in. And they found that if there was a woman on the board of the company they invested in, it was about a 65% higher return on investment than that of the all-male companies. Yeah. So having diversity and uh, women on the board of really any company, I mean, it, it leads to absolutely. better choices, better decision-making, as you said. You'll have to, um, if you don't know her, you'll have to meet Katika Roy, who I've had on here as well. She's here in Denver and um, she, she has a company called Pipeline Equity. And it's it's all about helping companies go out and um, measure their the, the equity within the organization and, and then track statistics on it. And, and they're building a, a database that actually will start to help benchmark a lot of that data. So it's really fascinating. So when um, when you get back to Colorado this year, make sure that I make that connection for you. Oh, I'd love to. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you started a global nonprofit called Lit Without Limits at just 18, which also led you to your first, first book, She Is Without Limits. And now you're launching Her Big Idea Foundation and your second book, Her Big Idea. So let's talk about that inner fire in you that has been driving this need for action and movement. Um, what is What has you getting up every day saying, I'm just so excited to be putting my energy into things that really matter? Yeah. So this came from a lot of personal reflection. So back in high school, I had like absolutely no sense of purpose. I did not know what I liked. I was all over the place. I wasn't a very good student. And I mean, this led to a lot of anxiety about my future. I didn't know what my place in the world. And then I got to college and I started all of these different clubs and I started taking on leadership positions. And then ultimately like through those opportunities felt that I could start this nonprofit and in reflecting upon all of that and all that transpired, I realized how much empowerment that was derived from, I, you know, I had this idea in my head and then I put it out into the world and it resonated with other people and it started to change their lives. And the women abroad were saying that it changed their lives. So I realized that my identity and my, my, my sense of self in this world was so connected to being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and that all women deserve that chance to, you know, have an idea that they bring from concept to reality because it was the most empowering experience of my life. And I think all women are deserving of the same chance. Um, regardless of what, whatever it is they want to create, it can be like a book. It can be, I mean, it can be, there's so many different things you can create. It doesn't have to just be companies. So whenever I reflect on that and how much I've changed personally, I mean, it, it nearly brings me to tears. It's, it just was really the most empowering experience in my life. And I think that's the, the greatest thing I can give back to other women. I know I can, I mentored girls um, growing up. Um, I, that, the only thing that I ever really knew for sure was like my affinity towards women empowerment. But now that I've done the entrepreneurship thing and see, seen how it changed me, I really think that my calling in life is to help other women bring their ideas to life. Mm. So tell us a little bit more about her big idea foundation and the book and, you know, just what the, what the concept is there. Sure. So I'll start with the book. Um, I started writing the book through the Creators Institute. Um, my book coach, his name is Eric Coaster. He is a professor at Georgetown School of Business, and he started this course to help us get in touch with, you know, like our, our specific area of genius, what we want to put out into the world, and using the book as a means to an end for creating our career. But I love to write, as you can probably tell from my first book. So I also love the experience just to put something else out there. And the book, um, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to put down on paper, but it, I kept coming back to these 
themes of ideation, creativity, how we come up with ideas, how we implement them in the world, and then also speaking with other female entrepreneurs about their experiences and finding that common thread of being so empowered through starting a company. So really the, um, the thesis of her big idea is starting really, really big ideas. Hence the name. And this came from my first business class I took when I came to Brown last year, um, was with Danny Warshay. He's my favorite professor of all time in a class called, um, the entrepreneurial process. And he talks about big thinking. So you think of an idea that's so big, it's just, it's radical. It's never been done before. And actually when you think that big and put an idea that that, that's that big out into the world, it diminishes all the risk. So what I put forth as what a big idea is in my book is that the B stands for blue from Blue Ocean Strategy. That's a theory from a book mm-hmm. um, called Blue Ocean Strategy that I think I, everyone's familiar with. I read that. Oh, awesome. Yeah, great book. So, I mean, the, the central theme of that book is to create over compete. So go into water that is blue rather than like red and there's sharks in the water. Um, so instead of like going up against competition, create something in like an entirely new frontier. The I in big stands for intelligence. So they've done a degree of market research. They know that this is what their target customer segment wants. And the G stands for grand. So it's out there. It's never been done before. So that comprises the big. And so the Her Big Idea Foundation came as like a natural ancillary out of this because um, learning about entrepreneurship and of course, like minorities in entrepreneurship, women who are of a lower socioeconomic status, like they're not able to afford the same risk as like I have fortunately been able to afford um, just having very supportive parents. And, you know, I didn't feel like I had to risk time like working at another company or like working a full-time job or being a single mom or all these things that come up that make it really impossible to risk you know, by going after right. your big idea. So right. as a way to mitigate some of that risk, the Her Big Idea Foundation will give grants to women um, who apply with big ideas as according to the BIG uh, big <laughs> specifics that I just went over. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So half of the proceeds from the book will go to the foundation and I'm no stranger to nonprofits. I really love putting together fundraisers and silent auctions. So I'll be doing some of that as well, but I really feel like it's the best way that I can actually give back in a tangible way. Like, of course I can inspire people to think big, but I also want to give them the means to do something with the big ideas they're coming up with. Oh, this is so good. I really love it. I totally love it. Thanks, Cammy. Yeah. So what was the big idea that sparked the, you know, the, the foundation and the book? What was, what was the story for you that said, this is where I want to take this? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, that goes back to uh, the, the self-reflection that I've been going through because it's my senior year um, here at Brown. I'm about to graduate and just reflecting on everything that led me to this point and how the ideas that I've come up with and how I put them into the world have been so life-changing for me. Um, I'm also the president of women's entrepreneurship on campus at Brown. Mm -hmm. And so I help women bring their ideas from um, concept to reality all the time. And recently a girl dropped out of the incubator because she said it was going to be way too expensive to develop her app. And it was going to be an enormous expense, but nothing that like an investor couldn't help her with, but she didn't really see a lot of options to get that funding. And so really what I call like Haley's big idea is this foundation that would allow women just like her who have their ideas for them to be funded. So it was like a conglomeration of all these personal reflections, my experiences to date uh, that really propelled this next phase of my life. Mm, I love this. I totally love this. And so her big idea is really grounded in a lot of research that you did. What was, tell us about the research you did and and what, what did you discover that really inspired you most? Yeah. Um, 
Gosh, I did so much research, especially surrounding venture capital, but also stories of women who have started really big companies. And my favorite company of all time is Rent the Runway. Um, have you heard of them? Uh, yes, I have. Okay. They're the best. Yes. So the founders, uh, Jenny Fleiss and Jenny Hyman, uh, they were they had just come up with the idea um, and they needed Diane von Furstenberg. Uh, they needed her support to you know make the idea possible because Diane was really well respected in what continues to be to this day in the designer industry. So they're going to um, meet her for this meeting and they're on the way there in the car and her secretary calls and she says, um, I'm sorry, Diane has to cancel the meeting. And I write about this in my book, but that moment they could have, they could have been like, Oh man, you know, like that was our last chance. But instead they have this like moment of genius and they go, what? Sorry, like going through a tunnel. It's spotty. I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they hang up the phone and they show up at the office. And since they're there, like Diane meets with them anyways. And that's been like, you know, the most strategic move they could ever have to now like position Rent the Runway as the amazing company it is today with all the connections that it has. And I thought that was so genius. So I, I really enjoyed like reading those stories. And I thought that was, that was the funniest. So the um, stories but- that were coming out of the research and you know, what, what women have done to really keep their big ideas alive. Um, yeah. And like taking chances, the quick thinking, like, I mean, those are really the moments that should be celebrated. And I mean, that's like also, you know, they're not, they're, they're not like acquiescing to what, what happened. You know, I feel, I feel like truly in that moment, and I think I'm an empowered person. I would have been like, Oh no. And I say in the book, like I would have driven to the nearest Wendy's to get a frosty and like eat my teeth away. Cause that would have been so frustrating, but yeah, to think that quickly. So I, I don't know. I love hearing those stories of like, no, I'm not going to take that. You know, no, you yes. are going to see me and I'm going to do whatever I need to do right now to push through the door. Um, but also a lot of the research, um, around VCs, um, obviously last year, 2017, we found the statistic that only 2% of venture capital spending went to female founded companies, which is horrifying. So it a lot is. of the research was around why that is. Mm-hmm. And as I was talking about earlier, how it's these all male venture capital firms with, that are allocating the most amounts of money. Um, there was another story that spoke to me. Um, one of my friends told me that it was her friend who had, who had just come up with this new idea for a breast pump and took it to a venture capital firm and they were listening to it and it was all men, of course. And they're like, well, I don't really understand like why this breast pump is so like, you know, they didn't understand. What's the the big deal about it, right? Of course. (laughs) So there's this phenomenon where they say like, okay, let me ask my wife because they honestly don't know. But of course, like when the, when the founder is pitching out, they're like, no, I'm not coming here to ask you for your wife's opinion on like whether or not like my breast pump is worth investing in. Like I want your, you know, you're the venture capitalist. And so that's just another represent, representation of why there needs to be more women at these firms, you know, yes. for the, the empathy towards certain products that they're pitching. So a lot of those little anecdotes, stories and, and research, um, yeah, they're all in my book. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Yay! I can't wait to read it. So what was your favorite part of the whole book? Yeah, um, my favorite part is when I'm talking about ideas. And my favorite book is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And she talks a lot about like where ideas come from. But I um, did a little more digging about um, the neuroscience behind it. So, you know, when you're in the shower and why the best ideas come to us when we're in the shower, driving or doing these mindless tasks. Um, right. And also accidental inventions, like down to the chocolate chip cookie or the potato chip, just like these funny stories of how these, uh, you know, these ideas came out just by like accident. But the 
overarching theme there is, you know, the, the person who accidentally made chocolate chip cookies that could have thrown out the batch and called it a disaster. She was trying to make chocolate cookies and she didn't have cocoa left. So she put in a little chunks of a chocolate bar, but instead she was like, Oh, this is like a good idea. Now chocolate chip cookies are like the world's most popular cookies. So recognizing opportunity when it knocks on your door. When uh, things aren't just like you thought they should be, but exactly. maybe they are exactly how they should be. Yeah. Or even the story of like the slinky, um, it was like a, a little wire coil and it, mm-hmm. it flipped down the stairs and the guy who watched it and the inventor, he was like, that would be a good toy, you know, instead of like someone being like, oh, that's so annoying. I have to walk down the stairs, to pick up the coil that just, you know, right. catapulted. <laughs> so, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I love the, the book, um, Big Magic. I think that it's just such mm-hmm. a great book. And, and when she talks about that, you know, when an idea is going to drop in on us and we get these ideas and do we move with them? Do we, do we take that idea and run with it? Or do we let it, we put it on the back shelf and then it, that idea decides to go find another owner someplace. Yes. I share that exact story. I think it's what you're getting at about the book that she was going to write Evelyn of the Amazon. Yes. Um, Yeah. And she put the idea on the back burner and, um, another author wrote basically the same story and it just, you know, the idea came to her. So that's, that story is also in my book. And I quote big magic, like all over the book. I need to reach out to Elizabeth Gilbert and be like, girl, I'm your biggest fan. And my book is a testament to that. Yes, you absolutely should. So what do you love most about being an entrepreneur? Definitely the creativity behind it. Yeah. Um, obviously, I love <laughs> I love ideas, but also the branding, coming up with color schemes, um, copywriting, how I'm going to say certain things to market it. Just that whole creative process is really my favorite. And I, I don't know. That's, I think that's why I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur. I come up with ideas all the time, and then I want to push those ideas further. Like Just as in the book, it talks about how an idea could come to you, and then if you put it on the back burner, it can move on to someone else. Like I also believe that if you decide to run with an idea, if you apply branding to it or however way you go about the idea, like that's what makes it authentically yours. And so I love like imprinting my vision onto ideas and helping others mm-hmm. imprint their visions onto their ideas. Yeah. And what do you find that's the most difficult thing? Yeah. Um, I would say managing relationships on a team is mm-hmm. really hard. I'm managing expectations. Um, and like the day-to-day operations, I think that goes alongside of it. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to delegate what? Um, making sure everybody's you know head and heart is in the right place and they're just as committed, just like the, the nitty gritty, but it's worth it. You know, I just spent a weekend in in California, in Southern California, at a conference. It was called Limitless Woman. And um, we spent probably a full day talking about teams and how do we, you know, get people onto our excited about what we're doing, about what the vision is, and um, give them the space to to, you know, really contribute in a way. It was it was it was great conversation. It was really great conversation. Oh, that sounds amazing. I know that I saw you um, post about that conference. I would love to go. That sounds truly amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think anytime, and we need teams around us. And so, you know, really loving on our teams and giving that space. And I think one of the things that somebody said was really honor the, um, the individual for who they are first and foremost. Mm. And the team part of it comes and as you know, it, it rolls in. And so a couple of the, the women who were speaking did just a fantastic job of sharing stories where they really listened to um, their employees' dreams and hopes and what unfolded 
for them because they actually stopped and listened. And like one of them actually opened up a whole new division of their company that this employee was going to run and, and go with just because it was, it was kind of that idea that got generated through those discussions that would have gotten lost along the way. It was really fun. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, and all this, this, this stepping into, you know, launching your own companies and your own nonprofits and your, um, your books, you certainly have come into some times where you've, it's, you've had to step into your courage, right? Where, where, where you had self-doubt showing up and you had fear and uncertainty, and, but you stepped anyway. Can you share one of those times and um, what the result of that was? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my first for-profit startup, She Is Without Limits, which was like the sister company to Lit Without Limits, it didn't end well. Um, so that was my first failure just because of some, I mean, it just like the team wasn't a good fit. Hence why I said, you know, the team's really important. So everything fell apart, got really, really messy. And coping with that afterwards, it, I, you know, I thought my thing was entrepreneurship. I thought I had found the one thing that I was really good at in this company that, you know, it was my idea, you know, I'd like fallen apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had some serious uncertainties about like, am I equipped for this thing called entrepreneurship that I love so, so much. And I was mm-hmm. really scared to get to, to start again, if I was going to start another idea. But I, I believe that I have turned that failure or the perceived failure into a triumph through writing the book and through this foundation, but that was not apparent at first. Like this whole thing happened, uh, the summer before my senior year. And so now I'm finishing up my senior year. So it has taken like almost a year to get to a place where I feel like it happened for a reason and that it was okay. And that I can use what I learned to help women even more than I could have had everything gone well. Yes. Yes. You don't learn anything from success. You really don't. Right. (laughs) That's so true. So yeah. 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 So having the courage to go ahead and, and, and move forward with the, with the new ideas again, you know, and, and start some, the next version of this. Absolutely. Yeah. And just to reframe failure. Yes. Yes. That's, that's brilliant. That's totally brilliant. So how can our listeners um, help with her big idea foundation? Mm, well, if any of any of them, any of you listeners uh, have an idea of your own, or you hope to be an entrepreneur and you read my book and you come up with your big idea, please apply. I really, I want as many applicants as possible, but I, um, I also want the opportunity to be shared with other applicants. So if there's someone near and dear to you in your life, um, I just want to get the book out there as much as possible to inspire more and more women to have their big ideas. And as far as the foundation goes, um, it's kind of in a weird position because the amount of the grant money that we give is really contingent upon how much we raise. So, um, yeah, it's like a kind of an awkward ask to be like, donate money, but at least, you know, if you, if you can buy the book for a friend and so then the money can go to it in that way, but just spreading the word would be incredible. Right. Absolutely. And so you're, it's, it's launching and people could contribute to the foundation at this point. Yes. Okay. Awesome. 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 And where can they find out more about you and um, the book and the foundation? Yeah. So the websites are in development right now, but in the meantime, I love connecting with people. So they can just add me on Facebook. It's Haley Hoffman Smith. 
and you know send me a little message or you can add me on LinkedIn and then I will post all updates there moving forward and then it'll be you know easier to follow everything that happens with her big idea but the book itself comes out June 11th so that's coming up and that'll be all over my social media so easy to follow it on Facebook and LinkedIn that's awesome Haley and what three pearls of wisdom can you leave our audience today Yes. Ooh. Oh, I love this question. I do too. Um, (laughs) I know. Since you ask it every time, it's awesome. So, um, yeah, the first, I had a really hectic like career week a few weeks ago. Um, my research was published in Forbes and I shared the news about my book. And so it was really exciting. And I saw this girl that I, I know a little bit in Starbucks and she, she asked me like, do I ever sleep? And I thought that was like a kind of weird question because I think we have this idea in our minds that to be successful in our career, we have to sacrifice like personal well being and we have to be like workhorses because I sleep a lot and I watch a lot of Netflix and I spend a lot of time with my friends and I put my personal well being first. But I found that because I prioritize that, which I have not always done, when I am working, I have like 10 times the impact because I'm that much more invested and inspired and my brain is well rested. And so my first pearl of wisdom is to put like personal well-being first and to rest and then to return to your work and then your work will be that much better for it. Absolutely. And my my, um, second pearl of wisdom, I would say is to be completely in love with your life which is really challenging when you go through um, perceived failures. I now call them perceived failures, not failures anymore, or any times of adversity. But um, Cami, I think you actually posted something, I think that was from the Limitless Woman Conference that is um, central to, to my beliefs and how I was raised, but that's like to in, to look at every moment that comes through the good moments and the bad moments and to act as welcoming to that moment as if you had invited it into your space. Yes. So every time something is difficult, I, I think the moment. I try to think the situation and say, like, there's something here that it's bringing me and changing my perception of the situation. Like, that gives me the control and the power over it. And so at the end of the day, no matter what external circumstances are going on or how I'm feeling, like, I have control at the beginning of each day and at the end of each night about how I'm going to feel about my life. And I choose to be in love with my life. And because of that, I believe that all of these opportunities and the magic I mean, it keeps sprinkling up. Um, so yeah, I think like, I, I don't remember who you quoted in one of your Facebook posts, but it was, it was basically along the same lines, which I thought was perfect. Yes. Yes. It was, um, it was truly, um, a, my favorite quote of the whole weekend. And it was Dr. Sharon Stroud out of, um, Southern California. And, and it, it is such an important thing is act as if whatever is happening around us is exactly what it's supposed to be. And, and there's, there's a gift in it. If, if, if we learn to just go with it and step into it. So yes, it's very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like so often we're in resistance. We're like living in resistance to life. Yes. We have like our prescribed ideas about like how things are, certain things are going to turn out. And I I, I don't know, sometimes we can just get stuck in a negative mindset and not even know it. Right. And, and, and versus saying, this is an opportunity opening up something else. And exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. And what's your number? What's your third one? Yeah, I would say my third is to prioritize relationships above all. Um, my job when I graduate isn't just to be an author and to run this foundation, but I have an, an amazing job of being the director of community for an entrepreneurship community called Next Gen Summit. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's 2,000 com- entrepreneurs in the community and in connecting with every single one of them and learning their talents and talking of getting vulnerable with them, I found that my greatest strength is my community and 
everybody that you meet knows something that you don't and everybody can help you with something and helping others, you know, gives you purpose. And I mean, really like the, the furthest your impact can go is dependent upon how big your community is. So foster that above all. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that our communities, our connections, um, and, and approaching our communities and connections in ways that are just open and giving and um, sharing and uplifting is what makes our world go round. And it, it's, it, it makes life better on top of it all. Mm-hmm. Not only does it make it our world go round, it makes life better because we're in these amazing relationships. So love that one. Yes, yes, I'm, I'm glad you liked my pearls of wisdom. <laughs> yes. Well, this has um, been so much fun, and I check all of you to go, I, I invite all of you to go check Kaylee Hoffman Smith out because she is going places in our world, and it's going to be so much fun with all, all the good that you're going to be making, all the impact that you're going to be making on our world. And I am just really honored to know you and um, looking forward to um, getting to know you even more. So um, thanks for being with us today, Haley. Thank you again for inviting me. This was so much fun and so empowering. So thank you for providing a space to share wisdom and to also make those who are sharing the wisdom feel like they have something to share. (laughs) You absolutely do. Well, have a great day. You too, Cammie. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CamiGelner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.